0: In Banbridge, we bring all the Christian sports ministries together and we send teams into schools all day, every day. So for the whole week, we've got uh, four, five, six primary schools where we've teams every single minute of the day in schools. High schools, tomorrow night, we're doing a huge event in Banbridge High School where we bring about 500 parents together and all the kids do like team-building games and we have a lot of fun with them. It's called our Night of Champions, but it's 100% evangelism. We still have a window to talk about Jesus in our schools. So we intend to use it. So tomorrow, we've been planning this for, it takes us about uh, a month of planning. We did it last year. It was an incredible year. We saw so many young people come to faith uh, and a couple of teachers, which was incredible. So this year, pray for us. That starts tomorrow. So I'll be in Banbridge at seven in the morning. We also have seven different churches working together in that project. So they feed the teams, they, they supply workers, they pray with us. So it's really exciting. I'm excited about that. Although I'm only there for the first um, couple of days because then I'm going to Romania on Wednesday, just a short trip this time, thankfully, Till Friday. I'm going to train some um, more Christian football coaches. I think there's about 30 of them. Just train them how to make an impact in their country for Jesus. So I'm going to do that. It'll be a quick flight in and out. Uh, I'll be training a team on Tuesday night, hopefully sharing after with them. I'll be mentoring a coach late Tuesday night. So it's a busy week. Please pray for me. Pray for my kids because I don't think I'll see them this week at all probably. Pray for my wife. She's got to handle them all when I'm away. So I know it's a whistle stop tour. Basically, I use a ball and I use the ball to tell people about Jesus around the world. I think that's, that would have been easier. If you want to turn in your Bibles then, like I say, this is one of my favorite Bible characters, um, Elijah. Uh, and I have said, I'm sure, somewhere before, so I'm, I'm going to flash it on the screen if you want anyway. I'll be totally honest with you, Ben offered me his glasses before. And the reason it's on the screen is because I'm really struggling to read my Bible at the moment with my eyesight. So look how big that is. I'll read it for you. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these days except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide in the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Incredible. That's me. I wonder, is that you this morning? and nobody from nowhere. I mean, I often think about things like this. God has taken me all around the world, and I've loved every minute of it, and I know I've got so many more things to do for him, but I'm third son out of six from a little tiny house in Newton Ars. My dad's sold paint. My mum's a childminder. I'm a nobody, and I wonder are you the same this morning? I mean, Northern Ireland is a blip on this earth. It's a tiny little place. There's so many countries or, or cities around the world that are four, five, six, seven times bigger than our whole population. And I wonder, do you feel a bit like this sometimes? What can I do, God? I mean, really? I just fit kitchens for a living. I sell toys, whatever it is. God, what can I really do for you? And I believe with my whole heart, these are the people that God's going to use to change the world. Elijah was a nobody. I think I mentioned once before. Tishbeth, where he's from, this place tishbe he's a tishbite that's from the place called tishbe archaeologists have struggled to find it in fact there's two places they think it could be and they've never even really found it so they don't even know where the guys come from the other thing you'll notice in the text is you don't read off elijah being the son of someone who was the son of someone who was the son of someone who was the son of someone the way that normal introductions came in the old testament this is just a guy flashed on our screen we don't even know who he is And yet, God gives them an incredible task. I just want you to go before the most wicked king there has ever been in the land of Israel. In fact, on a par with his father, his father was a a king called Omri, Ahab's father. Omri was the two kingdoms after Solomon's empire. The two kingdoms split in two. There was Judah, and there was the northern kingdom. And Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom Judah. So the the king of the northern kingdom, it was their aim and intention all the time to divert people's minds away from Jerusalem. So they allowed them to build altars everywhere. Originally, the altars were to God, but over time, you know about Baal and the Canaanite gods, those gods that allow fertility. God's altars were replaced with ones to Baal, to Astoreth, different people. And Omri, his, his father, Ahab's father, was always trying to pull people away from God always trying to pull them away from thinking about Jerusalem, where God resided. And Ahab continued that. And in fact, Ahab had the most wicked wife, Jezebel. I mean, she wanted blood revenge against anyone who followed Jesus. So Ahab and nobody, so we don't know who he is, from nowhere, we don't even know where he came from, God challenged him and told him, go stand before the most powerful man in that country and tell him that I am stopping the heavens. I'm shutting them. That's incredible. And I wonder, honestly, I want to challenge it. Today, I'm not like Jeff. Jeff's incredible. I love listening to him. He's a theological expert. I'm not. I'm a guy that uses a ball to tell people about Jesus. So this isn't going to be rocket science. This is going to be real life and I want you to know right now, you are completely useful to God if you obey him. Notice a few times in that, he followed the word of God. He did what he was commanded. That's part of it. It's not just we live life as how we want. We keep our head lower than the parapet. We try and just get by and eat out a living. That's not what God's commanded you to do. He's asked you, stand up and talk about Jesus. Live a life of love. Impact people, both physically, mentally and spiritually so you may be a nobody you may not have done much in your life to date so what god can use you from now if you want to be used so you could be a no one from uh, nobody from nowhere but also then i wonder right now where you're sitting has your brook run a little bit dry i mean it was awesome for two and a half or three and a half depending which um different scholar you read elijah sat by that brook, and every single day the birds brought him bread and meat, and he drank from a brook. Incredible. God was providing for him. Now, yes, he was isolated. He was alone. It was just him and God. God was preparing him for something. So he spoke to Ahab. God had something more, another perspective for him to do. But the brook soon ran dry. I don't know about you, but with Brexit coming, I, I am genuinely fearful, and I've been trying to hand it over to God I mean, giving to Christian ministry over the last three years has fallen by 15%. You know what a large number of Christians do when fear hits? They close their accounts and they keep everything close to them. And I've lived by faith for 18 years where we rely on people giving us finances to do our job, to pay my mortgage, to live, to travel the world to do that. And I'm genuinely fearful. I'm relying on people who serve God to help me serve God. And I wonder, are you the same? I wonder, are you looking at it and thinking, my job's in doubt. There's so many pressures overwhelming me. We can't pay the mortgage, whatever it may be, even financial pressures, or even emotional, where you're lonely, you're isolated. Your friends seem a little bit distanced. The world's got on top of you. Maybe your self-esteem's low. Maybe you don't feel good about yourself. Maybe you're comparing yourself to people around you. They always seem to be doing better than me. I never seem to get a break. You might be that person. So you might not just be a nobody from nowhere, but you might also be someone whose brook has completely run dry this morning. Let's move on in the story. Um, it's, I said it's a, it's a whistle-top sto- story of Joe, uh, Elijah's life. We're going to go right through his timeline really quickly. I'll read this one. then the word of the Lord came to him saying, this is as soon as the brook had run dry. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please, bring me a little water and a cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord God lives... I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I see, and see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I might go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus the Lord God of Israel said, the bin of flour shall not be used up nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was never used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. This is a lesson in humility. I get these all the time. God somehow wants to bring me always to my knees so my perspective's right, that I'm always looking up to him and never putting my own uh, efforts and my own strength. He always wants to give me humility. So imagine Elijah. We don't know who he is. He came from nowhere. He went to the most wicked king. He had the courage to obey. He stood before him and said, Ahab, I'm going to tell you right now, God said there's no rain, no dew, full stop. Then God said, now I want you to leave. I want you to go and sit by a river for the next couple of years and I'm going to feed you by ravens. Incredible. I mean, I love the way Scripture sometimes doesn't give us. What was Elijah thinking? What was he feeling? Was he feeling lonely? Was he feeling empowered? Was he feeling used by God? Was he feeling like he could walk on water because, wow, I can tell the king exactly what God said and he commanded the whole time, but we never really read how he feels. And then... After all that time, wow, God's been providing for me. The birds bring me my supper and my breakfast every day. And then all of a sudden the brook runs dry. We don't read. Does he sit down and mope? I don't know. Does he cry for a little while? Does he curse? God, God, what? You brought me here and now there's nothing here for me anymore. We don't read of any of that. But we do read of this next passage. The very next thing that happens in his life is humiliating. I mean, I'm sure you know in those days, widows were at the very bottom of the food chain. They were the least important people. In fact, the only thing that the widow had that was useful to her was her son, who subsequently dies. And then we have an incredible time when God shows up and, and Elijah raises the son. But he's sent to a woman who has only a tiny bit of food left. I mean, it, it's frightening to read that, isn't it? That, that last little bit. Uh, the end of verse 12 I'm going to prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die incredible to be at that point I mean we all look and we go we can't pay a bill this week or yeah we're struggling to feed the kids this day but it's okay we've got some money for the next day coming in this woman's at the point where she actually knows as soon as she eats that meal she's going to lie down and die and that's who god sends elijah to be provided by that's god teaching him humility that's god teaching him that you always look up for your provision that's god teaching him that i decide where the money or where the food or where the next help comes from i mean god owns the cattle on a thousand hills money's not an issue for our god he doesn't send them to somewhere who's rich or, or another person who can, has means that can help them. He sends them to a woman who has so little left, she's going to eat it and die. Isn't that incredible? So you might this morning be a nobody from nowhere. Your brook might be running dry or it has run dry and you might be going, it's okay. God's going to do something absolutely miraculous and he's going to pull me out of this situation and I'm going to be happy again. I'm going to be blessed. It might not happen that way. God might want to humble you a little bit more. He might want you on your knees completely broken so that you can only look upwards and say, God, you are in complete control. I don't know about you, but wouldn't that be an incredibly good place to be? I mean, I don't know how many of us have been broken. I mean, really broken on our knees, weeping, and we have nothing left. We have nowhere to go, no one to turn to. Only God. So, a lesson in humility. The other thing that happens, God acts miraculously. He says, and, and even more um, to the widow, she just obeys. I mean, she just goes away and cooks a little loaf, gives him a bit first. I mean, I don't know if I would be like that. If it was Ben and me, and you came to us and said, I'd be going, Am I going to give it to him or am I going to give it to Ben? I'd be giving it to Ben. In fact, I don't even think I'd be eating any myself. You'd be wanting your child to have it. And yet that woman's faith and obedience is incredible. I mean, not very much spoken about woman, but incredible the fact that she just did what Elijah asked her to do. Maybe she knew he was the guy that told Ahab there's going to be no rain. Maybe she understood his name. I mean, his name means my God is my strength. Maybe she knew that. Or maybe she just had faith. And she was just wanting to be obedient. So God acts miraculously. Not just does he provide for that woman and her child until the rains stop. Then we never really hear too much more after until the sun dies. And God even then acts more miraculously by we have the first recording of her resurrection in the Bible. Elijah raises through God's power that child to life again. So I don't know, this morning you might identify with you're a nobody from nowhere you might not have educational background you might not have a well-paid job or a nice house or have come from a great family or you might not come from money whatever it may be you just mightn't have enough and even worse your brook might have run dry you might be going through this christian life in a vacuum not really sharing your faith not really reading your bible not really close to god just i understand i've got a label i'm a christian And I just act slightly different than everyone else. I don't go out at the weekends and and drink or I don't do that or do that. Maybe it's just a moral life you have really. So maybe you're a nobody. Maybe your brooks run dry. And then you need a lesson in humility possibly this morning. But look at the timeline. As soon as God gives us a lesson in humility, he acts miraculously. Almost finished. So moving on then. A lot of things happen. You you know, the Mount Carmel incident where God sends fire down. A lot of the Baal prophets are killed. All that sort of thing. We'll talk about that later tonight. But after that mountaintop, that huge experience, that incredible witnessing of God's power and affirming probably that you're my man, Elijah. I've chosen you to do great things in my name. Elijah runs the whole way down. And here's Jezebel's wanting to kill him. And this is where we find him. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel sent him a little note saying, you're dead today. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. (laughs) Incredible, isn't it? I mean, the things Elijah has seen. A child raised from the dead. The first recorded incident. He saw God send down in power fire. He saw all these Baal prophets executed. He saw God work continually miraculously. He even saw God fly little ravens to him every single day to feed him. He saw all of that. And still, this one woman's note makes him run for his life. It's incredible, isn't it? How fleeting sometimes our faith can be. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked. And there by his head was a cake baked in coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Where you know he's physically going to see God pass by. He's going to hide in a little rock and God's going to just show him the trail. I mean, God has an incredible plan for this guy's life. But yet, look how frail his faith is. He has saw God do so incredible things. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that. You agree? Sometimes, not, maybe not the whole world's against me. Like he felt, Jezebel's after me, I'm going to die here. It'd be better if I just sat under a broom tree and God, please, end it all for me. But I don't know if you've ever felt like that. People don't understand the situation I'm going through. And we lose perspective. So you might be a nobody from nowhere. Your brook might have run dry. God might need to humble you. If everything's going well and plain sailing, but there's no impact for your faith around you, I think we need humbled. Because it's only when we're at our brokenness, where we're at our least, then God is our, at His most. God will use us then. So the whole world might be against you. Honestly, I've, I've been to some countries. I, I deliberately try to go to some of the release international countries. I've been to five of the previous top ten. It's just changed again. I'll go to Pakistan at the end of the year, so I'll be six. And I just love working with Christians who are at the point of the whole world's against them and their physical life is in danger. Those people teach you so much humility. I have so much They've so little, and yet they're willing to just continually, continuously raise their head above the pirate and pet and say, I'm all for Jesus. Do what you want. I believe in Jesus. And yet there are times I know, and I'm sure in your life, where you haven't said, I'm a Christian, or someone said a a bad joke or used bad language in work or wherever you may be, and you just sort of let it sort of slide over your head. You haven't really made a stand for Jesus. I'm sure there's too many of those times that we can even Think about them all the time. I'm sure there's been times this week where we know we haven't acted in love at the moment we should have, or where we saw need and we should have stepped in and helped and we didn't, or where we should have verbally said, You know what? I'm all for Jesus. Here's what the Bible says about abortion or gay marriage or whatever it may be. I believe the Bible because I believe in the author. So, I don't know. You might feel like that this morning. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I look at it and I just go, God, why on earth am I doing this? There just doesn't seem to be the finances for all the Christian ministries there are anymore. And I sometimes go, God, my balance just keeps falling. And yet you never keep seeming to fill it up. But yet, honestly, in 18 years, I've never been in debt. I may not have had what I wanted in life. I mean, I've still one child that doesn't even have a passport. He's 11 or 10, 10, Mike is 10, isn't he? He's 10 he hasn't even got a passport, so I've never even taken him on an airplane. I'd love to have taken him to foreign holidays and all that, but I mean, that's the sacrifices we make. But sometimes I feel that. And that's when we need our brothers, our sisters tied to us to encourage us, to strengthen us. But Elijah didn't have that, so God did it himself. This is me. I don't know about you. But I can look back in times in my life where God has done incredible things. There's been times, I I don't know if you know anything about psychology, but there's a a pyramid called Maslow's Pyramid of Self-Actualization, which means there reaches a point when all your needs are met from physical needs right up to psychological, and at the very apex, the very top of the triangle is a point called self-actualization, where you no, you're born to be where you are at that moment. You just feel complete, right? That, that's his, I think there's a different pyramid, and it's a Christian pyramid, where we feel right at that moment we are indwelt by God, and God is actually physically speaking for us. I, I think I've had seven moments of that in my life, where I've stood in a place, one of them in particular in a country called Mauritania, it was up in the thing up beside Morocco, real strong, strict extreme islamic republic no recognized church in the country there's only one church for the foreign staff who work in all the oil rigs or whatever to come into the country there's security around the church so that no n- local inhabitant goes in and they're just very protective of, the, of islam but i stood one day on a soccer field and i felt god just pour into me like i was a drain pipe what he wanted me to say and see and it just came down and out and i don't even remember what i say But I hope you've had experiences like that. If you haven't, you'll want to ask God that he will humble you and take you to a point where you have felt completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what we want, isn't it? We want more and more and more of God, less and less and less of Alan. That's what I desperately want. Problem is, Alan keeps getting in the way. And I'm sure you feel the same. But I'm forgetful often. Sometimes when I look at my account or something and I forget God has provided for me so many times in so many ways in the past, why do I doubt him? Why did Elijah doubt God would protect his life? Why was he afraid, this might come out wrong, hear me right, of a woman? I don't understand it. But yet when we see it with the right perspective that our faith is weak and our God is great, then we can understand it. That we've been on mountaintop experiences, but we know after the mountaintop comes the depths. It's all about perspective, isn't it? I know I've talked enough. I'm coming up to the breaking of bread, but it's, it's all about perspective. And I lose perspective too often. I don't know about you, but I forget God's in control. I look at the news, or I, I often read it on my phone, the BBC website, and the world is falling apart. I sometimes look inward and I look at my own family and, you know, sometimes some of them are having difficulties and I look at them, and I just think, I need to solve this. And God gave me something in the last two weeks in my family life that I can't solve. I, I can't fix it. And I've tried so much to fix it. And God's just saying, could you stop? Stop getting in the way. I have something to do here. And I don't know about you, maybe your perspective wanes at times as well. Maybe you lose sight of God. Maybe you just want to get your course finished. Maybe, you know, you're doing all the work is all about you. You haven't asked God to strengthen you because you're doing a course at college or university is actually God's leading in your life towards your greater plan. You might meet someone that you need to influence there or it might be the actual subject that you're learning that might end up being what you're going to use for God around the world or in Northern Ireland, Newton wherever. But we lose perspective too easily. one perspective. I mean, if you read that Bible and you read that story, you would get that message, wouldn't you? That Elijah is just inconsistent. He appeared out of nowhere, so we don't know who he was. He was incredibly obedient. Then he was fed by ravens. Then he went and asked a woman for, who was going to die for her only bit of food. Then he raises her son from the dead. Then he, has, he goes back to the king and says, okay, God's going to let there be rain. Then the Mount Carmel experience where all these men are singing and dancing to their god and he's mocking them we'll talk about that later he mocks them, and then god works powerfully he hears a woman wants to kill him he runs he sits under a tree bows his head and goes just kill me then he's fed enough food miraculously that he can run for 40 days and 40 nights i mean just continue going for 40 days and 40 nights i mean honestly some of us find 40 minutes hard enough don't we 40 days and 40 nights on those two meals Imagine what food that was. So incredible. Then he sees God. Then he's taken off in a chariot of fire. I mean, his life has been there, 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 there. It's just inconsistent. And if you're looking at it from the human perspective this morning, that's me. I'll not ask for a show of hands, but I reckon everyone's like that, aren't we? Inconsistent. At times we feel close to God, we feel alive, we feel useful, we feel we're impactful. Other times we just want to bury our head under the duvet, close the front door, and not see anybody ever again. But if you look at it from the right perspective, a perspective of faith, one of grace, one of God, we see that even though Elijah is completely inconsistent, even though Alan Nixon is completely inconsistent, God is not. God is 100% faithful. He never lets us down. He never ever is inconsistent he is completely consistent this is a story of god's provision in his way his time to teach lessons to bring humility to use elijah to an even greater degree than even elijah could have planned it's too tough isn't it being a christian if we look at it from that perspective It's so difficult, and it is going to get harder. Let's not make bones about it. I I pray for our kids because the world our kids are going to grow up in is a world that is going to be completely against God. I mean, we're right on the knife edge now where it's not completely against God yet. There are people wanting to push it that way, but my youngest kids are going to grow up in a world where Christians are going to be the extreme. They're, They're going to be prison, They're going to be murdered. It's, it's going to be an incredible world. But that's what they've got to hold on to. Because this is only a short time, isn't it? Even if I live to 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, whatever it may be, it's still only from the right perspective, a tiny time for the rest of eternity, we're going to be with our Savior. We're going to be where there's no sickness, no sin, no war, no death, no pestilence, nothing. We are going to be in paradise, in perfection with Christ in heaven so my question this morning, is it is it too tough that you can't raise your head above the parapet there are people outside these doors going to hell because they just won't listen or they haven't heard and God commands us to go and tell them I read a stat this week, a very frightening stat in in Ireland. Now, you know the rest of the world's like, but across both north and south of Ireland, there are more people at sporting activities on a Sunday morning now than there are at church. Now, that means church broadly, Catholic chapels, etc., etc. But there are more people playing sport this morning than in churches. I mean, subtle how it's all changed, isn't it? Everyone thinks it's family time, it's a good time. It's taking people away, it's always distracting them. So I want to ask you this morning, what's your perspective, life? Is it all about God's consistency, or is it about your inconsistency? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in spite of who I am, despite of my failures, my weaknesses, my sinfulness, my lack of energy, my lack of drive, my lack of excitement, my lack of passion even when I look around and I get my perspective wrong, Lord, you still love me completely, unconditionally, that my standing in you is because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. Lord, for all of us, we may be nobodies. We may be sitting in a small church on the edge of a small town. Our brook may have run dry, and we may need a lesson of humility And we do forget our mountaintop experiences where you've been so close to us. But Lord, we're asking from this moment onwards that you will take this group of people, this family. And Lord, you'll use us. You'll multiply us. You'll make us reach not just our town, but our nation and our world. And we will see people in droves, come to Jesus. We will see their faith strong. We will see this world changed for you. We have to believe it, Lord, from your your perspective. Lord, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now, please forgive me. Right, I hope I'm. I'll be back this evening. I was talking to Jonathan on the phone yesterday. What the way I'm a. I'm going to try and do breaking of bread. Hopefully, you'll ask me back this evening. I'll not be excommunicated or anything like that. And you might enjoy it as well. I mean, I love the way we do breaking of bread. It's one of the key things 18 years ago that just kept us here. Just how open this place was, how people could sing, pray, etc. And honestly, it was noisier in the past.